and welcome back. Hello, hello. Welcome back. Yeah, it's been a has it been a minute? I'm not keeping up with the calendar like like when we're doing this show these days. Is that bad? Is that a bad sign? It feels like forever, but it's, it's only been a week, right? Maybe a little over a week? I don't I know, I don't know. It's easy I, enough to look up. I think we skipped a week because <laughs> I had to work. Right? That's what it was. Something. And then we skipped a week we before had, that because I had to work. We also had family here. Oh, that's what it was. Family. I didn't want to like that's be rude and going, we're leaving the room to do a podcast like those asshole people can do sometimes. <laughs> and everybody, be quiet. Be quiet, everyone. We're trying to be creative in the other room doing a podcast. No, we didn't want to be those assholes. <laughs> well. I mean, I'm creating art. Stop talking to me. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> no, so it's been a minute. We've been, it's a little bit sparse. We sort of took our, we're still coming off of our summer break a little bit, I feel like. So here we are. Lots yeah, of things I'm, are over, going. I'm over summer. It's, yeah. It was so hot today. I was sweating continuously. It was bad, but it's yeah. all good now. I'm the same Falls way. in a week, although that doesn't mean anything for the weather because climate change, but. Right, right. It's when, a week. When's it supposed to break? September? I have no idea. End of September? Who's a weatherman it, here? It, it's always different. It always is different. Yeah. I mean, we've had like heat waves in November. We've had heat waves here in December, January. It's, it's trending to go lo- later on in the year. I think. <sighs> I'm sick of it. We have no, we have one, thank God for my cousin. We have the one air conditioner, the portable air conditioner in the one room that has no insulation. That's working out great. And so we just lay there every day and I think, oh my God, this was terrible before I was going through menopause. Put the hot flashes on top of that. The dog looks like the brothers of the Night's Watch. He's growing an extra mane for some reason. He's looking at me like, bitch, what? <laughs> like, and, you know, we both are shaving our heads closer and closer, like down to the scalp, I think, for a reason. We're both sweating <laughs> our asses off. Yeah. I mean, like, if you have air conditioning, it sucks outside and it's horrible, but it's just like, I can't explain. And again, it, no, I'm. Uh, this is like again. This is first world problems. It was totally weird when I was working downtown and I was in that loft that had AC. Mm-hmm. I just took it for granted. And when I got outside, it was hot as fuck. Yeah, I was like, "Holy shit, I'm gonna die!" Just like ripped your lungs out, bleh, stomped on them. Welcome to LA, bitch. Boom. Show business is glamorous. <laughs> yeah, you know what was glamorous from what I saw from the videos last night on my phone. Someone amongst us got to go see Game of Thrones live in concert. Yes. Oh, my God. Let me tell you. It was like, so the show, like, overall is like three hours. Does not feel like three hours. The whole time you're kind of just like, or at least I was just kind of like soaking it all in. And like, I can't even tell you how great this whole production is when it comes to not only like the lighting and the arrangements, but like the sound is great. Like the musicians are fucking phenomenal. And like, it was such a great like celebration of game of Thrones. And it was also really weird, not weird, but kind of like, Oh yeah, this is a thing. When I was waiting in line to get into the, to the venue, I was looking at all these people and I'm like, I can't believe like, there's an audience for this stuff. Yeah. Like people are, are like buying tickets and taking time out of their, their Sundays to go see a concert of TV music. Like that to me is like crazy. I and think, it's like, so set it up for us. Like, so where, what, this is the amphitheater, amphitheater where? 
Uh, this one was in Bristow, Virginia. Okay. Um, I can't even tell you a reference port. I think it's like an hour away from DC or something like that. It's about a three-hour drive uh, from here, from Morgantown. Oh, okay. Um, so it wasn't like yeah, right in town. Up... I was like, oh, this is right in town. Oh, like you did have to drive. No, I, yeah, I had to, I did have to drive. Um, I met up with my dad. We had dinner, and so we go in, and we're one of the first ones there, and we grab our seats. And like it's slowly filling up with people, and then uh, the lights go out, and then there's this really funny um, announcement from Lena Headey that they've recorded, and she's like in character of Cersei Lannister, like telling us to like silence our cell phones and or we'll get boiled alive. Awesome. And <laughs> and uh, it said at the very beginning or the very end, she said, "If you see me after the show." Don't approach me. I don't like being in contact with my subjects. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. And then, yeah, the lights go down. Uh, we have like these three screens that are two of them are showing us uh, footage of the orchestra. And the main screen is showing us clips from the show. And you're kind of just going through all the big beats of uh, the entire show every season. Um and like the audience reactions to me were also crazy because it felt like you were at a rock concert. And again, I was like, this is just TV music, but it invokes such a response uh, from these people. And it paired well with the the clips that they've stitched together from the show is really, really something. The second uh, set was uh, began with a, a violinist and she was playing the Stark theme. And all of a sudden she starts like getting like suspended up into the air and I'm like whoa and like she's wearing this long flowing like red dress and she's like going higher and higher and higher and she's still playing the violin just like beautifully like not phased at all until she's at the very top uh as high as she can go and she just got this big robe like blowing in the breeze that was all the other thing like the venue was outside and it was we were so lucky with the weather because it was just like 70 degrees, nice breeze. You can smell the trees. It really affected the entire experience for me. Oh, wow. Um, but actually, I wanted to play uh, a clip from the show, um, just kind of speaking to like how the audience <laughs> reacted uh, to the music and to the clips um, showing with it. Um, so this is the very end, I guess, spoilers for the show, I guess. If you haven't watched um, Game of Thrones and know how it, uh, you know, works out, please stop listening <laughs> to the podcast right now. Yeah, until you go see it and then yeah. you can come back. Yeah. Um, so this is uh, the very uh, end of the Battle of Winterfell episode where Arya uh, jumps behind the Night King and kills him. Mm. Um, and you just got to hear how the audience uh, reacts to it. All right, so here we go. There's already people reacting. And we are seeing John facing off with the Syrian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not with Syrian, whatever the other ones. Bran and the Night King are having their stare down. Yes. Shoulder shot. Here comes Arya. 
drops the knife, stabs him. That's amazing. That's just awesome. You know, when I saw that, when you sent it last night, I was like, this is what I, I don't know what the ticket price would be. Probably like a thousand bucks a head, right? Maybe more than that. I would sit down and it would be a weekly thing. You come to the amphitheater, like do, like do like say three episodes a night with the live audience, (laughs) (laughs) just with the orchestra, the full orchestra, and you would just watch the whole series from start to finish because just seeing other people react to these big moments, mm-hmm. there's something about watching other people watch the show. That's what I loved about you watching the show was that you were, I knew you were going to be so into it. And then now you're watching your dad be into it. Like you did a little gift you give to people. You're like, oh, yeah, wait till they get to this part and this part and that part. And then you're just mm-hmm. like, this is it. It's, it's take one and pass it around essentially. At the yes. very beginning of the show, the conductor was like, you know, how many people have seen the show? And of course, a lot of people applaud. And he's like, okay, so how many people have not seen the show? And there was maybe like 10 people that were like screaming. And they were like, I'm sorry to say, this is just going to be one big spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> and then they walked out and demanded that the whole thing be redone. Just kidding. Exactly. Yes. Um. No, it was... So by the end, as we're getting nearer and nearer to the eighth season, I started to get a little like subconsciously worried because some part of me is like oh what if people boo and like it's gonna just ruin everything um so right after this they kind of go into this piece where they've stitched together and it's interesting how they did this they've stitched together um scenes of danny reacting to uh, losing Jora, losing mm-hmm. her dragon, losing mm-hmm. Masande, all mm-hmm. the things happening to her. And it's got like this red filter over it. And it's got like really foreboding music. And I'm like, <laughs> whoever put this production together was like, I'm going to show y'all. I'm going to show y'all Receipts. how we got here. Receipts. <laughs> yes, that's it. You know, if you go and you watch the series again. Yes. It's all there. I was just yeah, there. it was a montage of receipts. So everybody knows on the on the show end, they're like, okay, y'all just you know y'all need to calm down, watch the skin. Yeah, and this montage kind of builds for like two three minutes, and it just goes straight into uh, the siege on King's Landing, and there were no boos, but people were starting to leave, which can be either contributed to uh, I hate this, so I don't want to watch it, or. Uh, parking is insane and like traffic is crazy when you're trying or to leave. Or I have IBS or, or I, have I have a IBS. babysitter. But like, but like also like, and I don't know if this is the orchestral musician in me, but if I was in the orchestra and I saw people leaving before the show was over, I mean, this orchestra is, is contracted by the production and they're, because they don't tour around with the production. They kind of just contract orchestras from wherever they're touring from. Oh, uh, that was my so I guess question. they don't really care because yeah. it's a paycheck. Right. But I'm just like, it's so rude to me. It is. To, like, for like that to happen. And like they were taking their bows and like they finished the show and people were already leaving in droves and they still had one more piece to perform. I'm just like, man, like really? Like, well, you're speaking to even a, a, a endemic thing. I mean, this is happening everywhere. Like Broadway has got this problem. Live theater all yeah. over the world has got this problem of drunken people who are like, YouTube commenting things, or they're like, "Oh, now I'm done with the majority of this. I saw them, and now I'm only not. Eh. 
you know, it's like people don't have any decorum. And it's like, yeah. it is rude. It's rude to have your cell phone on the table when you're having dinner. It's rude to interrupt people when they're speaking. It's rude yeah. to... Yeah, and I mean, if you paid, like, what, $130 for a ticket, why would you not want to stay like, for the whole seriously? thing? Like, I think, I, I think it's, I think they're the, the traffic people. Because, like you said, if you went to this, this is like, you know, it's like going to a ball game. People leave early because they don't want to get stuck in the traffic. That doesn't mean they're not Dodger fans. You know True, I mean? but it How was like I people leaving it? like thirty minutes before the show. We had a whole half hour to go. Oh, see now that's see, just that's, that's that's just stupid. Yeah, I don't know what that is then. Like I get like I can almost excuse leaving during the bows, even though it is pretty disrespectful. But if you want to beat the traffic, that's when to do it. But like people were leaving like thirty minutes before the show ended, so I was just like, well, how many people what, were what there? Sit- what the yeah, what city that? was this in again? In Bristow, Virginia. Okay, so let's just back the fuck up on that for a minute. Okay, I understand <laughs> if you're at a Dodgers game downtown at the Ravine in Los Angeles and you got to leave 30 minutes before the game is over because that shit is real. Like, if you don't get up out of there, you might as well just sit in the stand and chill for 45 minutes to an hour because you're not going anywhere. Yeah, You're just going to be ducks and butts all the way out to, you know, to the highway, to the freeway. So... I understand that. And I'm not no shade on Bristol, Virginia. I'm sure it's a beautiful place. It the name sounds delightful and gorgeous and fantastic. But how many but motherfuckers are gonna be on the in street? In the middle of nowhere. Like yeah. three hundred yeah. people? I mean I I swear to I eat my hat if there's three hundred people on the road at any given time. Seriously. Look yeah, at the population I mean the, of Bristol, Virginia. And I'm just how what kind of traffic are we talking about here? And I mean, for us, when we left, yeah. when we left after the show ended, we were in traffic for maybe 20 minutes. Oh, 17,000 people there. 13,000 people. 17. 17,000 people. What's the capacity of the amphitheater? I don't know what the venue. He said it was outdoors, so I don't so know So outdoor it was. amphitheater. Let's look it up. It was called, what's it called? Jiffy Lube Live. The Jiffy Lube Live. Oh, my God. We're just living in horrible <laughs> times, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> the Staples Center. What can I say? Uh, <laughs> Jiffy Lube Live, twenty five thousand. So twenty five. Was it full? Uh, it was. It was like ninety. I'll say there were twenty thousand there. Twenty thousand yeah, people. Traffic getting out of that then would be, would have been because it's probably not built for like an you know. Okay, that's legit. But it's not. It's not a people pop up. Bristol, it's an. It's an outside theater. Yeah, it's so an they, theater. You know, it's not like oh, they got a system. We're not right? going to just drop a tent or drop a stage here. Yeah, it's all built in. So they have adequate parking. And I don't think yeah, parking is yeah, probably that do. bad. Not like Dodger Stadium. If you were at that concert and you left 30 minutes early, we're not trying to like call y'all out. Well, I guess we are kind of calling you out. But can you explain? <laughs> can you just hit us up, ashlandpodcasts at gmail.com or Twitter or ashlandpodcast or Facebook. There's your plug right there. You can just go ahead and hit us up. <laughs> or you can call us. What's our hotline number? 424-291-2439. Call us and let us yeah, know why. Let us Tell us why, why you Explain. Left I mean, I get it. When we do, we're, we're calling y'all <laughs> rude and stuff. But maybe you have a reason. Is there something? Was y'all Were y'all trying to defeat a giant spider last night or something that we didn't know about? I'm just asking for a friend. Okay, cool. So, But it sent, you kept sending, thank you for sending all the videos. I was just like, should he be enjoying it and just sitting there? But then again, then you have it. And I was like, oh, my God, this is just I'm, I feel like I was there. So I appreciate yeah, there you were, there were so many other moments that were that were just I think my my favorite musical uh, set piece that they did was they went through the entire Battle of the Bastards with the music. And I was just like, this is fucking awesome. Because they're playing. I mean, we're, you're playing clips on the screen. 
but they're going along. Mm-hmm. That was what was mm-hmm. amazing. And then you were shifting between like you have the orchestra shots on either side of the main screen, which yeah. is in the center above the orchestra. It was mm-hmm. really lovely setup. What did your dad think? Yeah. Oh, he loved it. But he was he was like, I don't know why people get so excited about this stuff. Like with when like the whole thing with, with Arya and people cheering, I'm like, that that's just how that's just that's fandom. That's <laughs> that's how people Did he not think that was cool? Stuff. No, he was he was just like more confused than anything. Oh, gotcha. He's just like he's just like, We've all seen this before, right? I'm like, Yeah, dad, but people get excited and like, you know. It's amazing so, to see people react. Yeah. Like I was in it the is. other room. I think I was cooking or I was doing dishes or something, and you were playing it, and I heard the music, and all those emotions mm. just came back to where I was like, "Oh my god, I got to sit down." Yeah, you know. Speaking of emotions, I was I was very close to crying like a baby uh, when they were doing the last scene with first Danny's death and the music that plays there and also the 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 epilogue with all the Starks and everything I was just like man oof man I'm yeah, telling it you crazy. it was such a good series I cannot re- recommend this enough it is worth the money it's probably been to LA before and we've just missed it it's been at the bowl i've seen it I've has seen it? it advertised see at i'm the bowl. out <laughs> this is where i'm with Bristol <laughs> that's on this where one. you would leave just third, getting yeah. up in there that's you know worse than Dodger that's Stadium. like five six hours that's nine hours of your life right there you gotta it's get like it one there. way you get in two o'clock in the out. afternoon just to get parking yeah. second of all then you ain't going nowhere like you they stack you in if, or if you park down in hollywood unless you know and i'm not an athletic person i'm fat i'm not gonna walk uphill <laughs> you know, in the heat with my fat. I'm not doing it. I just, you know, I did that one time for a concert. I was covering for a rock magazine and uh, I'll spare you, but something personally happened to me that happens to ladies once a month. And um, I just wrote the article about that because I was so mad by the time I got there that uh, I just, you know, fuck Aerosmith. This is what the whole article is yeah. about. My body betrayed out. me and fuck uphill and fuck the Hollywood Bowl and nah. So... <laughs> That's probably why. I was just I enjoyed it on my couch watching yeah. you enjoy it by sending me videos. <laughs> I appreciate you I, so I, much. Yeah, I, I hope they do a recorded version of it soon. Yeah. It was awesome. That'd be cool. So you did something else. You're out there living your life. Um, you actually went to the theater to see it chapter two. Yes. That we was saw last week. we saw it chapter one. You saw it last weekend, right? Mm-hmm. What'd you think of that? Listen, uh, <laughs> you know, by the end of it, I was like, man, you know, like, what other horror movies get to this level? Because by the end of it, I was like, not only like emotionally exhausted, but also like, like endgame emotionally exhausted. Yeah. But also like, just in awe of like what they were able to pull off. And I can't I can't recommend this enough. It made me think so much about like how we consume horror movies and like how they're made and like the psychology behind it all. And I I talked for hours about it with with Harley and Lindsay and they also enjoyed the film. But it was just kind of like the entire experience, like and also watching it uh, after the first movie, you're kind of left with this like, I'm not sure if I watched a horror movie. Yeah. Because you don't really, your brain, like, doesn't connect, like, feeling feeling emotions or emotional attachment to characters in horror movies, unfortunately, even yeah. though there, there needs to be for that movie to work. But by the end of it, it was just, it was just amazing. I mean, I can't recommend it enough. 
I'll say this about Stephen King as a longtime reader of Stephen King. I've read majority of his books, I would have to say. I think I'm missing about a good five or six of them at this point, the, the newer stuff. Mm-hmm. But I have to say about it specifically and why it makes it work, like Shawshank and Green Mile, is that it really is about the human relationships, right? If I'm trying to remember the second part of that book. These are spoilers for It Chapter 2. Please don't – please stop listening. Come back later when you see it. So one of them stays behind in Derry. I think he works in Derry. There's something about the library. Mm-hmm. And then as they've all grown up and moved away – They've forgotten about their experience. It's part of Pennywise's spell or whatever. But the guy who stays remembers it the entire time Mm -hmm. and is kind of frozen there, stunted in life. And I don't know if he can start relationships or whatever, but he seems like he's a lonely dude. I can't remember. You'd have to tell me when I'm through with this if I got it right. So then everybody's moved away, and then Pennywise comes back to life. They think they've defeated him from when they were little, when they were kids, and then this is what twenty something years later, Pennywise um, is about to go on a feeding frenzy. I guess he needs to eat every twenty, thirty years or so. So he comes back and starts munching on people, and this guy reaches out to all of his childhood friends, the Losers Club or whatever they're called, and they all come back mm-hmm. from all points, and they don't remember anything about the town or what happened to them in the sewer or any of that kind of shit, and then he brings them back in and their memories come back. And I think one of them doesn't even make it back. He offs himself or something anyway. So then they come back together and then they decide they got to go kill this motherfucker, this clown literally. And they go after him. And then at the end, it's not so much as about a monster versus little kids. It's more about like friendship and the bond of human relationships and using your imagination that you forget when you're a child to defeat an ancient evil. Yeah, pretty much all of that happens. Is that it? <laughs> in the chapter two, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so. Cool. The all right, ending... bye guys. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> the, the book, which is a thousand some odd pages long, people hated the ending. And I remember loving the ending because it got really insane. Because there's this tribe that lived in this land thousands or hundreds of years before that encountered this spider that I think was dropped by aliens. I'm not really sure where the spider comes from, but the spider is some ancient evil pot. He was probably some asshole from his planet who got impeached and they just dropped him on earth. Anyway, <laughs> that's where Derry would become. And this ancient Indian tribe, like they figured out how to defeat his ass. Is that part in the movie? Yes. They, they are? Yes. Oh, yay! Because I didn't know yeah, they you had get, that you in get, the There's series. a little bit uh, in the movie about the origin of, of it. Um, although we don't get any omnipotent turtles. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't have the, yeah, the turtle guy. Mm. We don't have the multiverse turtle. Uh, His counterpart. That, I the, guess. Yeah, the turtle that birthed the world when it burped or threw up or something. Yeah. Yeah. Forget the turtle's name. Yeah, he's how America. I mean, like, he's how the world is America. The whole world is America. <laughs> I sound like, you know, who I sound like. Uh, okay, so that yeah, so that's not in there. But I guess I don't have a lot of time. But this is a three-hour movie. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I'm not gonna say like I felt the runtime, but by the end of it, this is. I think the the first movie in comparison is a bit better put together. 
because uh, I, I feel like there's a, a more focus on what it's trying to achieve. With the second one, there were some elements to it that by the end of it, you're kind of like, oh, that could have been taken out and nothing would have really changed. Um, so it's not exactly like, um, I hate comparing everything to Endgame, but like how Endgame, every scene and everything mattered and and it justified the runtime. I didn't quite get that with it, chapter two. Mm. Um, Cause it was, it, uh, yeah, it was like two hours and 49. Um, and I was like, it could have easily been shaved down to like two, two hours and 20. Not to say like it's a retention thing, but like if if we wanted to trim the fat as it were, it would probably be around 215, 220. Yeah. Um, and you, I, but again, you don't really feel it while you're watching. You're by the end, you're just kind of like, oh, that kind of went nowhere. I wonder why they put that in there. Well, that kind of happened in the book too. There's a couple of things with the book where you're like, he conjures, and that's kind of a king thing. He's giving you probably some backstory within the storyline, you know, to give you yeah. context. But I'll wager if he took it out, I think the book wouldn't feel as full and rich as it does. So people do say that about his books, but then he's always argued, yeah, but I don't think you would like just what I said. He's like, you, it wouldn't feel as, as fully formed to you without that information. Sure. But I mean, again, books are, are different in that kind of way. You can yeah. have that fat and then not really have it feel like you're, it's there for no reason. I don't know. I've seen uh, it happen in films. I think we talked about this with Papillon, for example, where if they had added in 20 minutes to explain some of the context that was driving some of the story, you would have been like, oh, gotcha. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But, but I haven't but seen this it, film, so I don't. I can't speak to that. I'm going to shut up. So. Right, yeah. right. But it, but in this case, I didn't feel anything needed to be explained. Mm. I felt like some things could have been streamlined so we could get a more coherent story. Gotcha. We um, could have had the turtle in at the end. No, <laughs> there are references to the turtle. Right. There's there's a scene where it pans over to a, a desk, um, in a school, and like there's a, a model of a turtle there. So they have, they've got some reference to it, but they don't go. They don't have to bite Pennywise's tongue and and look and look into his eyes or anything. Right. Um, I wonder if really Stephen weird. King was doing quaaludes when he was writing it, or was he drinking doing <laughs> quaaludes? He wrote a lot of this stuff like high and drunk out of his mind, and um, I think it might have encapsulated those days. So God knows that ending. He just got to the end. He was like, "Yeah, fuck it. I'm just putting it all in there. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Why not? So." Well, uh, speaking of Stephen King, he actually had a surprising cameo. Oh, I love it when Stevie's in stuff. He's so funny. Yeah, (laughs) he was. uh, He played a um, uh, one of the main characters. Bill uh, goes to buy like his old childhood bike from this old pawn shop, and he plays uh, the guy behind the desk. Essentially, it's it's pretty funny. (laughs) It's actually and King is such a character too. He's just so unusual looking, and then he can just. He's just perfect for these. I mean, yeah, he was playing. It was Stephen King playing Stephen King. Right, but. <laughs> right. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, the only thing I heard about, because I don't read critic reviews, but I had uh, someone tell me that, and then I watched a little short video on the ending today, and it talks about how the film is very self-aware of its ending. Is that mm-hmm. true? It's just sort of like making yeah, so there meta were... jokes inside. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so um, Bill... Uh, the main character ends up being uh, a writer. So when we cut back to him as an adult, he's kind of like in a trailer on set and he's trying to uh, clunk out the ending of this film that they're like like shooting like literally 50 feet away. And it like, um, he is essentially Stephen King in this universe because everyone, like periodically throughout the movie, they were like, 
your endings are really bad. Yeah. <laughs> He's been notoriously like, accused of this. What? Right? I was like, why did, are they foreshadowing something? Like, what's going on? Um, and that joke no, that was built was really into funny. the book, too. The joke was the same way. Like, he, anytime there's a writer, they're just a hapless, fucking crazy person. Like, there's, he never goes soft yeah. on writers. He's always like, yeah, you suck. I love that, though. Yeah, I do, too. Like, picking on yourself that way, yeah. But, I mean, the the, in, the ending was probably, for me, the, the best part of the film. Um, but, again, I feel like, it was it was one of those things where it could have been trimmed a little bit because I feel like the le- the least interesting things about this movie were the actual horror elements. Sure, although like Bill, when, Bill Skarsgård seems to be like the really scary Pennywise, right? Oh yeah, don't get me wrong, his, his performance is fucking amazing. Yeah, and you're still like very creeped out and scared. Uh, but I feel like chapter one had an edge because we didn't know what kind of scare we were getting because the first movie has a very specific style. And I think that all has to do with Andy Muschietti that he's not afraid to get not only very scary, but very weird. Yeah. Um, and it definitely comes out in this film as well. Um, but there were moments where it kind of like, uh, the scare happened and then the scare went away and then it didn't really have anything any impact on anything that happened after so i was just like that feels like the studio being like we need more scary Uh, um you know what i mean saw the notes Uh, happening or some notes yeah some notes coming down from the the big suits um that that's my impression at least i don't know if that's actually true but yeah it was it was kind of that thing of like okay i mean i guess it was scary but i'm more interested on everything else that that's happening there were pretty some some pretty genuine scary moments in the film but i think most of them tallied up to being either a they had no impact on anything happening after or or b you've become accustomed to the type of horror uh this story has presented before yeah uh so you're just kind of like okay there are like two parter scares like one part it's like there's a lot of callbacks to the first movie and like they've set up the first half of the scare in the first movie and they do the rest in the second which is pretty interesting um but yeah, I feel like overall it was probably the least interesting part of the film for me. Yeah, you said when you when you saw it that you felt um, very emotional. What what about it specifically that sparked that emotion for you? Well, okay, so I'll just go go ahead and spoil it. Um, so to, to paint the picture, so I ta- I think I talked last week about how like there's a very uh, a disturbing opening scene in where a gay couple is. Uh, beaten and one of them gets thrown over a bridge and then Pennywise like kills him and it lasted it feels like it lasted like eight hours like I, I felt like we, okay we get it like I know what the film was doing because it was like okay Derry is not a place to be out and like we got it you know we can't do that here um but I was just like like this could be if it was just Pennywise killing him, I wouldn't care because Pennywise is an alien. But when you have like real real life depictions of homo- homophobia, it's kind of like it was a it was a weird place to start the film, even mm. though that's kind of how the book sort of starts in the adult storyline. Um, because isn't Pennywise kind of like influencing people like he's waking up evil in hearts and minds? That's one of the things that the guy yeah. who stays behind notices that he's like, yeah, oh, and that's shit, stuff, we yeah, got to get yeah, yeah. the forces in here because people be wilding out or. Yeah, I think the way it works is that the there's a there's a spell that he has over the town where he 
one, basically all the adults are like pure evil. And two, they kind of don't notice anything that happens. Like a child goes missing. They're like, oh, okay. And then they just like uh, forget about it. Yeah. Um, but so as the story progresses, uh, we get uh, Richie played by Bill Hader, which is a standout, uh, of course, because it's Bill Hader. Bill Hader. Um, but uh, you're, so you're going through the film and they have to, in order to defeat Pennywise, they each have to find some sort of artifact from their childhood that is somehow connected to Pennywise. So we go on all these like six different storylines and following all of them and they get their own encounter with Pennywise. And for Richie's, it's... um. They're, he's like in a, a park or something and then there's there's this big like statue of Paul Bunyan mm-hmm. and he's just kind of walking and it's kind of uh, cutting between um, like the current timeline and the past timeline with the kids um, but it's kind of but all of a sudden like Pennywise is kind of like on top of the statue and he's holding a, a whole thing of balloons and he starts floating towards Richie and he's like singing a song. And it's all it is, it's like, I know your dirty little secret, essentially. And so the audience is like, ooh, what's the secret? And then you get this flashback from Richie being in the arcade, and he's playing with this boy, and you're getting some very gay vibes. Um, You're like, oh, okay. But then this is when I started to get really worried. Because I was like, so if they've opened the movie with uh, a hate hate crime, crime. essentially. Yeah. I was like, if... They kill Richie, it's not going to be a good look for the film. Sure. And and I didn't know how the story ends, like, either from the book or the miniseries. I didn't really know how it, it was supposed to end. I didn't know that Eddie in the, orig- in the original died. Um, but so when that happens, when Eddie, he kind of gets, like, skewered by Pennywise, essentially, by one of his, like, creepy spider legs. Um, That's James Ransom, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which we'll we'll get to the casting in a minute because it's like yeah. mind blowing how well they've casted this film, um, and so he's like basically dying in Richie's arms, and it's like basically Richie has been in love with Eddie since they have been uh, kids, um, but apparently as we've seen, uh, Derry and Pennywise is not uh, a, a good place to be open and out about that, and of course it's like the nineteen eighties, you're a kid, you don't know how to how to deal with that. Um, and so the way he deals with it is through comedy and making jokes and and doing all that stuff. Um, and so by the end of the film, there's this sort of epilogue. You're going through all the characters and how, when, where they've ended up and you get a flashback of Richie earlier in the film, carving out his initial in like a plank of wood. And then by the end, Richie's come back to that same plank of wood as an adult and he's written in like R plus E. So it's like undeniable that he was like in love with Eddie. And I was like, whoa, this was like, yeah, this is how you're supposed to do it. Like yeah. to me, it felt very organic and and very, it made sense. And it, I, I won't say completely forgave what, how they opened the film, but it made more sense to why they opened it like that. Right. Yeah. Was there any kind of like filter through our time do you know what i mean like we're talking about that whole kind of current times filter were they trying to do something with that because i don't don't kind of remember was this in the book i don't remember eddie and richie in the book it could have been there there Um, was sub there was subtext what's new yeah Uh, yeah (laughs) no it wasn't i don't think it was originally or it was like overtly stated um but there is an interview with with bill Hader and how he's talking with the director and how they wanted to handle that uh, because it is there in the book, but I don't think it's it's ever outright 
uh, explained. Um, but Bill Hader was like, I basically told the director, like, look, if we're going to do it, we have to do it. Because if there's if we don't say it, if we don't say what it is, then there's no point of it being in the film. Gotcha. And I'm like, wow, he Bill Hader said gay rights. <laughs> he said, <laughs> we're going to do this and we're going to mm-hmm. do it right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But in terms of like, I was expecting that because in the timeline, this is supposed to take place in 2016. It's supposed to take place 27, af- 27 years after the original film. Uh, but there, no, there was no, there wasn't a Trump joke, thank God. Oh, yeah, good. Um, I yeah, mean, again, no, not really. We talked about this before, that there's a fatigue that sets in, like, yep, we get it, yep, that happened in this yeah. time, and here's the timestamp. yep, 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 yep. Um, yeah. So I was lamenting to a friend of ours today, like, I hope that season four of Mr. Robot doesn't become, like, just a whole Trump takedown. You know, we know how Sam feels about Trump. I just don't want a whole <laughs> yes. season of it. I just don't, you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel you, Sam, but I don't, that, we don't need him for entertainment. Yeah. So cool. So I'm going to see it. I mean, again, I have already read the book. I know how it's going to turn out. I, I Visually, from all the stills and a little bit of the, the, the footage I've seen, it looks beautiful. Um, yeah. And again, the casting seemed dead on. The casting was very creepy. Yeah. To the point where I literally thought there was some CGI facial replacement going on. Apparently, they de-aged the kids because, obviously, you know, they're around that age. They grow up very quickly. Um, but they needed to... This was the other thing they did is that they filled in gaps of events that happened in, in uh, the first movie. So in the first movie where they kind of, like, disband and, like... Bill punches Richie and they disband and they have to come back together. The, this movie delves into, okay, what happened in that time span when they were not together? Oh. Um, but that, of course, you look at Finn Wolfhard then and you look at him now, obviously very aged up, but it didn't cross my mind that they were being de-aged. I only found that out after the fact. I just immediately assumed that they were they shot chapter two as soon as they as soon as they were done with one. Or at least when when one was put out into post, they were already starting on on chapter two because they were afraid they're going to grow up too quickly. Um, but no, apparently it's all supposed to be de-aged. And I'm just like, did Blown not away. even notice. See, this yeah. is how you use your superpowers for good. You don't use it to make like the first, you know, the the three Star Wars prequels. <laughs> uh, you use it to de-age uh, actors so you can like make things believable and within a timely fashion. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay. Are we? Have we said everything we need to say about it before we move on to two quick things we watched? Yes, I just want to give a quick shout out, of course, to the composer uh, Benjamin <gasps> Wallfish. Yes. Um. Really, 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 really great stuff in both of these films. Um. And I think he is actually part of the the Hans Zimmer team, or at least he started there at Remote Control Productions. Um, along with like Henry Jacobin and Pinar Toprak, who have gone on to do other things. Um, but he has a, I, I listened to a podcast uh, with him talking about how he does things, and he has a very unique approach to how he handles this kind of thing. Um, but the, there was a very symbiotic relationship between the composer and the director that worked out incredibly well, and it definitely shows. Awesome. Uh, but yeah, I've been listening to the, to the soundtrack nonstop, so it's really great. Cool. Who directed yeah. this? Andy Muschietti. Oh, right on. Cool. Good job, Andy. Sounds like you did a, you knocked it out of the park. 
<laughs> it's doing quite well. I mean, it's like isn't it breaking some box office records or something? It's like doing really, really well. I think it. I think it passed one billion, but I don't know if it's like both of the movies combined have made one billion, or yeah. Chapter Two has made one billion. I don't know, but still, um, people are loving it. I can I can look that up real quick while you're sure. We'll do that. So we're gonna uh, yeah. switch over to. Oh, and by the way, when I was listening, we were listening to. I'm gonna do it on the podcast that we're on when when. We were listening to the Game of Thrones piece of music, and I said, like, there now John in this part is facing off with Viserion. I know that Viserion became the ice dragon. He was facing off with, oh, maybe it was Viserion. It was Viserion, because Viserion became the ice dragon, right? Yes. I was about to say he's Rhaegal, but he's not. His dragon, Rhaegal, gets speared out of the sky yeah, on the by Night King, right? Yeah. So it was Viserion that was, like, blowing through half of his face that was removed at John. Not that it matters to anybody else, but it was bugging me for a second. So I was like, <laughs> uh, really quick. So the opening weekend was ninety-one million, and with the worldwide box office, it's, it's currently sitting at three hundred and twenty-two. Uh, yeah, three hundred twenty-two million. So yeah. it's doing pretty good. That's really nice for for a film that you know. Again, and Stephen King, who's had notoriously bad luck with adaptations, it's just good to see him finally. People are finally getting. What King does. I'm so excited. They're about to do The Stand with Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah. And uh, again, another Scars Guard is working out for the Scars Guards in the King franchise. So, Alex, Alexander, uh, tall, hot, beautiful Alexander is going to play the demonic, <laughs> crazy, you know, flame loving, fire loving Randall Flagg. Um, so, that's going to be interesting. We really should cover yeah. like the stand, the miniseries before this comes out. But we were just saying on the last podcast, you know, somebody needs to come back and redo that one. And here you go. I'm very excited about this. I think yeah. Alex, just like his brother, I think those Skarsgård boys, that whole family, Stellan and Gustav and Bill and Alex, all of them, I think they're all like just delightfully demented in this really kind of. <laughs> Icelandic. Well, yeah. they're not Icelandic. They're Swedish. What are they? Swedish. Yeah. Swedish. There's something about them that's just like hilarious. They just they get it. They love playing mm -hmm. villains and they relish it. And then they have a good time. And they don't take life seriously. It's always delightful. So I can't wait to see Alex um, out oh. villain uh, his bro in another Stephen yeah. King joint. One la one last thing about it, Chapter Two. There was a behind the scenes story Bill Hader was telling uh, about Bill Skarsgård. Um, they were talking on set and Bill Skarsgård was in costume as, as Pennywise. Um, and then there's there's this great still shot of, about this conversation taking place. But apparently he was asking Bill, like, so how do they do that weird thing where like you're you've like moved your eyes like in different directions? Like, was that CG? And then Bill Skarsgård goes, oh, you mean like this? And he does that in the full Pennywise costume. There's a picture of Bill Hader kind of going, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> and he can do the mouth in real time, too. He did that on Colbert. Yeah. And I was like, what's up with the Skarsgård family? <laughs> they can just do they weird things. Weird Olympian physical attributes I think that what only that is, family has. Well, first of all, Stellan is like, he's like this, you know, award-winning just amazing actor so you start out that's your dad and then yeah. <laughs> you know alex got to be tall and like fucking beautiful but that wasn't enough he had to be like he had to like get his acting chops up and then bill comes along going okay beautiful elegant six foot something tall bro dad's a legend Gustav's over here playing Loki on Vikings, you know, doing his thing. I, what am I going to do? I'm going to make my eyes weird, my face weird. And I want to come out on this 
Netflix show and do strange things to a girl in a bathroom stall. And you're going to be like, oh, what's happening? Yeah. So, but good on him, though. He thinks he seems to be uh, really enjoying and relishing playing Pennywise. He just loves yeah. that it spooks people out. <laughs> I think yeah. he gives his, like, he has a newborn child, like a baby. He has a new baby. And I think he's been giving her, like, Pennywise dolls. <laughs> he oh, does totally. that yeah. creepy stuff on uh, Castle Rock. Too. Yes. And he's so good. And ca- he was so creepy. I mean, without makeup, yeah. just walking around. He's a weird looking dude. I love him. Love him so much. Speaking of which, Castle Rock is coming back Woo. October, November. I wrote down the ne- notes in our ca- uh, our calendar, but you're going to be seeing Annie Wilkes in the next um, Castle Rock. This is an anthology series, so seeing the return of that storyline. If you've ever read Misery, we get to see Annie running amok around Castle Rock, being played by who's playing Annie? Castle Rock. Uh, she was a Masters of Sex. Name is escaping oh, me. Oh, yeah. What's her name? Kaplan. Something Kaplan. Can we look it up? I'll just see. Um, okay. So, we caught things on streaming. Because it was a busy weekend. You were working, then I was working. We weren't able to get out to the theater to go see it. Also, because it's so hot in the house. I know this is going to be a lame excuse, but I'm going to share it anyway. Because it is so Lizzie hot. Lizzie Kaplan. Lizzie Kaplan. It's going to be Annie Wilkes. It gets so hot in the house. And again, I know you're tired of me a bitching about it. But hey, you're <laughs> not my armpits. You're not my under boob area. It's very hot in here. So we can't leave our big Night's Watch fluffy dog in the house because he can't go in and out. Where, it's, where sometimes it's cooler outside than it is inside. So Mm -hmm. until the heat breaks, I don't feel right about going to an air-conditioned theater and then checking the cameras to see if my dog is dead, you know. So that's why, you know, it sounds like really shitty to say to people, but I'll just tell you, that's why sometimes we don't go to the movies during heat waves. Until Mm. I can, I could be one of those California people and take my dog to the movie theater as my emotional support dog and just put little earmuffs over his ears, but I'm not an asshole, so... (laughs) I just stay at home with him so he doesn't get heat stroke. Anyway. So what we watched uh, this weekend, back to back, is we saw a little film I've been keeping my eyes out for. I think it came out in the theaters in July. It's called Yesterday. Um, And I love Danny Boyle. He does all kinds of things. I've been with Danny Boyle since the train spotting days. And I adore him. Um, and I love the material that he tends to be attached to. This is a script by Richard Curtis and Jack Barth. Um, and I think who's the other credit? I want to say what the other credit is. Why didn't you guys list it there? You could have listed it. So, yeah. Jack Barth, Richard Curtis wrote the screenplay story by Richard uh, Curtis. And it's basically where the power goes out. Again, if you haven't seen Yesterday... Leave the podcast to come back. It's like, I had to start and stop this podcast three times to go <laughs> off. And hours later, they're just coming back to finish it. So, and yesterday, um, the power goes out around the world all at the same time for, what, 12 seconds? And when the power comes back on, no one remembers the Beatles. The Beatles haven't existed. Their music was never made. Uh, and our main character, um, Jack Malik, played by Hemish Patel, is on his bicycle, and he gets hit by a bus in this little seaside town in England, London. No, England, not London. That's a city. England's a country. And he gets hit and knocked off the bike, and the front tooth gets popping out. And 
his guitar is smashed, and he's a struggling musician. He's trying to make a go uh, as a singer-songwriter, and it's just not happening. And he's working in like a, a kind of a, what would you call that, a Costco kind yeah, of store. Doing, yeah. And he's just, you know, and then his best friend from childhood, who's a teacher. Or like a smart and final. Smart and file. They, she's his manager, and he's just, you know, he's really struggling. So now, after this happens, he gets, they replace his, all his friends gather around, and they give him a new guitar, and he starts playing yesterday. And they're all like, mm-hmm. oh my God, that's the most amazing song I've ever heard. And he was like, this is the Beatles. And they're like, the what? You know, he just, and then he starts realizing that, oh shit, I live in a world where there's um, no Beatles. And so there's this sort of like, kind of a thing in his head of like I need to start getting the songs out but again there's no place to look up the lyrics there's no place to look up he just has to go from memory of what he knows of his being a fan as a Beatle he can't find the Beatles in his record collection yeah the vinyl's gone everything's gone there's this whole gag of like him doing Google searches and there's just a Beatle just a Beatle bug (laughs) right so this whole thing's going on and then he just starts like putting the songs out there and playing them for friends. And again, there's this great scene that I think you would love where he's trying to play Let It Be for his uh, parents. And cell phones are going off. People keep interrupting. The doorbell keeps going off, you know. And he keeps turning around and saying, it's Let It Be. It's one of the best songs on the planet. They're like, oh, well, we're and they a little call- bit cocky. Well, they, called it, they called it Leave It Be. Leave It Be. It's like, oh, he's playing Leave It Be. <laughs> and so he puts his songs out or his songs get out from a recording session that he does uh, with the only man who's willing to like manage him and put these songs together. And he's sitting there just trying to churn them all out. And people are like, how are you doing it? How are you writing one song after the other? And this little demo goes out and Ed Sheeran hears about it. And he's a local who's heard this local release, right? And he comes over mm-hmm. to his house and, you know, um, the Patel family are very hilarious. His dad comes in the kitchen when Ed's just standing there going, yeah, mate, your songs are amazing. Um, I want to, I want you to like tour with me. And he's like, what? Do, do what? And his dad's like, you look just like Ed Sheeran. And then just leaves the kitchen. <laughs> but there's like all of this kind of stuff. Ed's a big presence in the thing. Uh, Kate McKinnon plays an asshole uh, manager from LA. That was completely believable. They, she told him exactly the truth. You'll put out all the songs. We'll give you a whole lot of money, and but we'll take most of it, and we'll own you, kind of thing. And wow. when he's playing, he's opening for Ed. He comes out like when they're in Moscow, and he starts singing "Back in the USSR." And there's a dude just sort of standing there. You know, I'm telling you the plot. Anyway, so literally, there's two people, other people on the planet who remember the Beatles, and who mm. are like showing up at these events. And of course, he can't remember the words to Eleanor Rigby. He can't finish the words to Strawberry Fields. So he goes to Liverpool and he starts going on these tours of where all these Beatles songs are written. He doesn't know the origin of the songs or why they were written. And there's kind of something kind of wicked about the film in that our memories of things is Hmm. very tricky. There's a lot of things that it's saying about our memories and how we consume things. But the whole point of it is a world without the Beatles is really not the world we want to live in. And this guy, you know, eventually does the right thing. He does the altruistic thing. He could have been a big star and claimed all these songs as his own, and he doesn't. He's just like, fuck it. Everybody needs these songs. I'm re- this album's about to have a big splash, and he just releases it to the world. Up on the clouds. He, can he puts it on it, the cloud. Yeah. They just do it, and they just hit, everybody should have these songs, right? 
these belong to the world. But the most touching thing that just got me bawling like a baby is that he ends up, the two fans find him, and he thinks that he's about to get called out by them. And they're like, no, man, we're just so glad that somebody remembered them. And the girl, the woman says, well, neither one of us can sing, so we're glad you did it. <laughs> she goes, you don't remember the words to Eleanor Rigby, do you? And he goes, no. <laughs> She's like, yeah, it's hard to, hard to write a song about something that you haven't experienced kind of thing. But they're just sort of mm. celebrating him because they're the only three Beatles fans left in the world. Also, by the way, Coke doesn't exist or cigarettes or Bruce Springsteen or David Bowie. There's a lot of things that just didn't <laughs> come back. He goes, oh, man, I could have murdered a cigarette right now. Just, well, I gave up smoking. And his friend goes, oh, what? And then his buddy. His <laughs> and he looks up cigarette. Like it's a, it's a city in France. I mean, in, in, you know, in, yeah, in France. It's like. His buddy in the movie is the guy who plays. Yes. Um, oh, yes. I forgot his name, but he's in Game of Thrones. He's in Game of Thrones. He's the it's Joel prince, Joel Fry. Joel Fry. He's the prince of Marine. Oh, that's right. That uh, Khaleesi throws into a cell and she's gonna, you know, marry him. He's no, no, no. He's that's a uh, that's uh, uh, the other guy. This is the guy who uh, over helps uh, asks uh, tells her to open up the fighting pits. Right, but he's the same guy that she's going to be forcibly married yeah, to at some point. Yeah, she's going to have to marry She threw him. him in the cell kind of oh. thing. Oh. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. He's hilarious in this. He plays a fired roadie who ends up becoming his roadie. Uh, and he's a lovely little sidekick guy. But so, as, and he goes, uh, so the two fans show up and she goes, we did a lot of digging. And she hands him a piece of paper. And the next thing you know, he's taking a car out to a seaside little lonely cottage by itself. And um, it's John Lennon, and I lost it because wow. John Lennon is allowed to now grow old in this movie. And I was like, having all many thoughts, has Paul McCartney seen this? Of course he's seen it. They licensed all this Beatles music. Do you know how hard it is to get your hands on yeah. Beatles music? <laughs> yeah. Or Paul McCartney or George Harrison or Ringo Starr music? Like, it's just, I mean, you had to have a lot of money, but... They really don't have to do this. The Beatles don't really need, you know, or whomever owns the Beatles catalog doesn't really need your. But anyway, I'm like, has Yoko seen this? <laughs> has Ringo seen this? <laughs> has the, anybody in the family? So it's just this touching moment with an uncredited uh, cameo by Robert Carlyle, who's old friends of Danny Boyle, who's in Trainspotting, played Big B. And he's just wonderful. They don't give him... He doesn't do this cockneyed impression of John. He plays John as if he were uh, allowed to just be. And he talks about fighting hard for a woman and then ultimately losing her. And I think it's based on this book that was out. If had John lived, him and Yoko wouldn't have probably stayed together. Um, and all the things that they theorized there. Who knows? But it was just one of those moments where I didn't know it was coming. And I was like, <gasps> oh, oh. <laughs> just like... Losing it, and yeah. he's just marveling at the guy. Like you got to live into seventy-two or whatever he is. So I can't wow. believe it. And he's like, "Oh, thanks, mate." But uh, and then he gives him John Lennon gives him some advice about his life, but he takes it. He goes and tells the girl that he loves her, him and Ellie, blah blah blah. And here's the thing: I didn't expect this film to be some big, huge film. It was one of those sweet, just. I needed it kind of feel-good movies. Also, if you're a Beatles fan, it's just kind of made for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you could tear it apart and this and that and the other, but that's not what this film was trying to do. I think it was just there to entertain us. And then you're just you're so aware from watching this, even if you're like my age or your age, just how prolific 
those four men were uh, and how mm. many hits from so many different eras that they churned out, you know. I mean, they've, I think they're probably the most formidable songwriters on the planet. I mean, Queen is like probably down there second or third, right? So it's like music fans are going to be like, let me just explain to you. Now, that is not true. Look, I'm not a music... Well, actually. Uh, actually, yeah. Lisa. Uh, so come correct me. That's no, fine. But I'll tell you what. If I was in that guy's position and I was trying to remember the lyrics, I would be out of loss. Because I feel like that I have like an, an auditory... Uh, I don't even know what it is. But like sometimes when I listen to pop music, I'll listen... I'll try my best to understand the lyrics. But to me, it's like... It doesn't make any sense to me. It sounds like there's a lot of like gibberish just going on. So it's like auditory amnesia. <laughs> no, it's like oh, it's a processing. It? It's a processing thing. It's why I like have to have subtitles mm. with everything I watch. I feel like it's the same thing with with when I listen to music because sometimes when I listen to the lyrics and it's only pop music. It's not when I'm like if I'm like listening to Hamilton or something. It's like. If I try to listen, like a Lady Gaga song, cannot understand a fucking word she's yeah, saying. Yeah, I have to say it the same <laughs> way, probably. No, I feel like that's on the same way. I have to see the words. I have to see it. No, that's, that's no shade. But like when I fi- look up the lyrics, I'm like, oh, now I can hear that. Also, specifically, but like before, I was like, these songs like Eleanor Rigby, you're like, holy shit, Father McKenzie, donning the socks. And he's like, donning the socks? Is he donning socks? And they keep in this one sequence. They keep showing yeah. the actors like he's running the socks and then the priest stops and he's like, no, it's not it. <laughs> <laughs> but That's it's just, funny. it's very, very well done. Again, Boyle knows what he's doing. He knew how to like put this together for Curtis. I really feel like it's just lovely. And then we're also the benefit of having Himesh Patel be like just such a wonderful singer. He's got a beautiful voice. And then seeing, and there's a, there's a wonderful moment, that probably one of my favorite moments besides the John Lennon moment was when um, Jack and Ed Sheeran have a songwriting contest. So Sheeran goes out. He goes, I'm going to go out that door. Jack's going out that door. We're going to go write a song in a few minutes. We're going to come back. I'm going to have a song off. And so Sheeran plays this, like, really cool piece on guitar about, like, penguins and thin ice and whatever, and it's beautiful. (laughs) And I don't know Ed Sheeran's music. I don't know if the song exists somewhere. And then... Jack comes back in and sits at the piano and starts playing the long and winding road. And I'm like, oh, fuck. He went, he just came for that. <laughs> I was like, oh, who's going to touch long and winding road? Nobody. And Ed Sheeran, it's almost you could see him going like, am I not good at this? You know, it just kind of <laughs> gave him a moment of like, oh, shit. Should I retire? <laughs> and it's like, exactly. It's like that's how the Beatles make you feel. I've heard more than one musician and writers say, you sit down with the Beatles and you're like, fuck. It's like, <laughs> if you want to be a writer, don't listen to the Beatles. <laughs> just give it a minute. Just go off in your corner and do your thing. It's like, if you want to write a novel, do not read Game of Thrones. Just, it will make you feel like a piece of shit. Just, you know, or you know that Stephen King writes these amazing epic books in like two months. You're like, don't, don't listen to that. Just do it. So, and then quickly... We're not going to linger on it a whole lot. The other thing we watched right after that was Brightburn, um, a film that didn't make a big splash at the box office either, um, but I found very interesting. Strangely enough, on the heels of The Boys, it doesn't feel quite as, say, it doesn't have the same impact I think it would have had without The Boys, uh, mm. which has some of the same take on what if Superman were a psycho. Um 
But I love the way, speaking of horror films, because we know there's many subgenres of horror. And King does it over here in this corner. And then you've got The Nun, and you've got Suspiria, and you've got, you know, all of these crazy films that are, like, very popular. But what stands out for me with Brightburn is just the way it comes together. And, again, this is, uh, this is James Gunn's cousins, I want to say. Brian and Mark Gunn. Yeah, Brian and Mark Gunn pulled this together. And... There's this little boy, cause there's a couple. We don't have a whole lot of backstory, by the way. I think this suffers from not having padding. This story was so sparse and getting down to the nitty-gritty that we didn't have any time to build. So Elizabeth Banks and her husband, they're childless, can't have a kid. They're on in, they live on this creepy-ass farm. Doesn't seem like it's thriving. They got some chickens. I don't know how everybody's doing. I'm kind of assuming we're in the present day. And, you know, you get the whole backdrop for, for whatever that series was called. What was it called? Smallville. Smallville. You got the whole backdrop, only this is a little bit more sinister. And then uh, on his, I think he's going through puberty, uh, the pod that he was discovered in in the woods, because they come across a pod, we find out retroactively, is calling to him, mm-hmm. and they've hidden it under the floorboards of the barn. Why they hid it, I don't know why they think it needed to be locked up and were they hiding that from him? Were they going to have the sit-down talk and go birds and the bees first and then, by the way, you're an alien, we think. We don't know. (laughs) But the kid gets woken up and all of a sudden it's like, take the world, whatever the the pod's telling him to like murder everybody. And he's just like, he's unstoppable now. And then the highlight of the film seems to be that he just murderizes his immediate um, family in like pretty horrible ways. And he's really inappropriate toward the girl that he's into. He crushes all the bones in her hand, and he then he murders her mom. Uh, and you're just like, okay. Um, I feel like that could have needed like another half an hour to 45 minutes to explain what's up, you know? <laughs> because we just yeah. start the film. Elizabeth Bank is, you know, obviously they're not making any money because I was looking at her art. And... Um, Daddy doesn't seem to be doing anything a lot. And then they got this kid, and there's just just stuff happens. So I loved the concept of it, but I felt like they needed that time. I don't know how much more they shot. I didn't hate it. I'm really intrigued by these things because I've always said this about Superman. If this dude ever just went, like, rogue on us, we're screwed. That's what uh, the most exciting thing about this, and again, I hope you've read the spoiler tags for all these films we're talking about, is that he kills mom and dad. Like, unlike the boys where, you know, that character sort of spares folks here and there, ultimately he ends up, you know, killing his love interest. But in this, he kills her body and doesn't seem to even give a shit. Like, he takes his mom's, Elizabeth Bank. Banks up into the atmosphere after killing like his dad, his he, uncle, he, like, his, visions aunt. his dad's head. He just goes right. He does the same thing that the guy does in the boys. You know, like Homelander does in the boys with Elizabeth Shue. He takes her up into the atmosphere and drops her, and that's the <laughs> end of the movie of her just falling away. And I'm like, well, that was just that got her done. Now I don't know if there's any hope to do a two. James Gunn has said 
he hasn't just outright said no, but I think they're, they were waiting to see how this was received, if anybody was down for it. And I'm like, okay, so now we have a rogue Superman going and murderizing everybody. That seems like that needs a lot of money. No, when you get out of the farm and you're just killing, and it says take the world, the, the pods tell him, take the world. Like, that seems like that's expensive. Yeah. I think I, I would like it just <laughs> in there. Yeah. Because then you can think about it's like, I mean, when you think about the actual Superman story, it's like, what the fuck are you doing? I think, you know, it really, it made me feel really good about it is that I'm glad I didn't have kids. Yeah. That's <laughs> I just walked away from that going, all right, couldn't be my alien baby. I had nothing to do with this. That's fine. I'm not wishing for babies in the woods. And if I found a pod in the woods with a baby with like glowing eyes, I would do the proper thing and call the wildlife people. Yeah. Well, see, they even said that like several times. It's like, and the FBI. The the CI, the CI. dad is like, we found this. Yeah, he's know, trying the, to speak reason. We found him in the woods. He's on to him in the beginning too. He's like, look, the chicken coop, like, the a wolf did not come and rip the door off a and then skin the chickens. You know, wolf would have ate the chickens. Yeah. Somebody was doing some really messed up stuff to these chickens here. I think it's our kid. She's like, no. So there's a lot of the stuff that was going on where I'm like, this is 2019. Does she have to be this woman? Does it have to be this way? I felt like it was a movie that they, that somebody wrote a long time ago, and then they decided that's, to make it. That's interesting now. to me because it's usually flipped. Yeah. Like in horror movies, like – the mom starts noticing, and then the dad's like the stoic, like, oh, it's nothing. It's kind of like flipped in that scenario. Right, I guess. But there wasn't really, it didn't feel anything, didn't feel fresh. Mm-hmm. I just feel, I just feel like they were like, oh, Superman does. And like the way he murders the town sheriff, he just like runs right through him. Again, this, I feel like this is on the heels of home, uh, of the boys. I'm like, that's what we saw happen in the boys. So I don't know. Yeah. I, am, I almost feel, though, it's like you don't really have to do anything too creative because of the story itself. All you have to do is just imagine if your superheroes were bad. Yeah. And so you just you live on that. Like, don't call the police. Fuck that. Do not let superheroes know that shit is going down. They will <laughs> show up and make it worse. <laughs> so I don't know. I, uh, I know that he looked like um, a really fucked up version of the Ood from The Who after he made his own cape out of his blankie and he had shoelaces yeah. over where his yeah. mask was supposed to be. He looked like the Ood. Yeah. I don't know if that was intentional. Though that's a shout out to Doctor Who. But I was thinking, I was really waiting for Brightburn because I saw the trailer and we saw the back and forth. You never see him in the thing. And I'm like, oh, Superman's fucking up the farmland. And mom's like, oh, shit, I should have left the kid in the woods, and this is going to be great. And then it just didn't – I'm sure they shot it. I'm sure it was on paper. And I think somebody gave them some bad advice and said, cut this down by 30 minutes. Shouldn't have done it. Hmm. Should have left whatever was in there, in there. But anyway, he blames it on a plane crash, right? A plane crash killed all them people because he's up in the sky, and here comes a plane, and he's like, oh, I'm going to figure this out because he's very smart. And he makes the plane crash into the farmland. And people are like, oh, the poor child is left behind. Yeah. Right? So now you got that guy. Wow. Foster he's, home's going to get fucked killed, up. Just going to say, foster home, just going to be like, mm. He's killed Oof. everyone who put it together. He's killed yes. his aunt. He's killed his mom, his Yeah, everybody. Yeah, everybody he knows. Yeah. It's a really interesting premise going into it, too. So hopefully they'll have time. To formal, to maybe there's a longer director's cuts coming out about this. I don't know. I doubt it. 
So you didn't have any. I did not go to Game of Thrones or uh, to see it. This is how I spent my time. However, I will say, the most exciting thing that happened last night is I was turning on the TV, the second one <laughs> in the living room. It's a long story. And there was Terrace House. Terrace House is back, y'all. And they're in Tokyo. They're in Tokyo. They're back in Tokyo, and they're going to take the series up to the doors of the Olympics in 2020. So, and they might be hmm. involved. I bet you they're going to be involved in that opening ceremony. One of them's going to be a ribbon it's girl. So big. The whole cast. Oh, is it might be, be a whole different cast by then. Probably. I mean, the cast changes out so much. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing. It's like, ooh. I wonder who's there. Everybody's trying to get that love connection so they can stay on that show. There's faking all these Japanese kids, faking these relationships. I like you. You really don't. You just want to stay on the show. <laughs> you know, want to get that free room and board. Get that. But the show is now recognizing, the hosts are now recognizing that it's global. Yeah. That it's beloved and universally celebrated around the world. They're definitely aware of it. But what I love about them is none of them have changed, except for that I think Shoah's hair is like, fluffier now that's the only thing i noticed the clothes are the same they're still fabulous yama chan is still like just being shady and snarky and saying stuff the guy with the round glasses and they keep calling him an old bitter virgin i don't know they're so mean to him but he is mean to everybody on the show so they kind of balance him out so it's back so if you've been waiting to see it you have the new class the, the new cast and the new members we're starting out with haruka salt that's what we're calling her Haruka, we were trying to like, who, which one of these three girls is going to be straight razor crazy? Because they're not like crazy like American <laughs> reality shows. They're sort of polite behind their hand, kind of like plotting mm. murder and shenanigans. Very polite about their plotting. Nobody flips tables. What's good, Paige? Yeah. What's good, Paige? What's good, Paige? <laughs> they don't do any of that stuff. We just finished uh, Are You the One, uh, the queer version. But like, so <laughs> they're not doing any of that stuff. But we were like looking at those three girls, and I thought the little, little tiny one. Yeah, we thought she was going to be. Rizako. I thought she was yeah. going to be crazy. So far, she's like really cool. She's the parkour one, but Haruka, she looked like she might be like straight razor crazy. And then there's, I'm calling her Carrie, but she's Kaori. Kar- yeah. Kar- 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 I don't know. Sorry. Uh, she's awesome. She reminds me of Lauren Sai, who ended up being on Legion. She was amazing, by the way. Lauren Sai. And then the three boys are Shohai. We call him Shohai. Uh, or show, show ain't. He's the guy who can't pick a career. He yeah. wants to be an actor. He wants to be good at everything. He wants to be a he wants to do designer. Everything. Yeah. He, wants to, he wants to be a master. Of tra- uh, he's a jack of all trades and master of none. And yeah. this guy he was working with goes, you're not a jack of anything. I was like, oh, burn. Damn. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and then, who was the other two? There's a really cute virginal one There's who's not Ru- fooling Ru- anybody. Ruka. Ruka. He's the Ruka is a player. Yeah. He, he's like, oh, I'm an innocent boy. And there's Kenny. I see you, Bieber. And then there's Kenny, who's the most grown-up one, who has a job, who actually is a stylist. and Illustrator. A, and, and, and illustrator, and he's in a band. So he's everything that Shohai wants to be, but he's doing it. But what I love about Kenny is he's not rubbing Show Ain't's nose in it. I'm already invested, y'all. Yeah. This is just going to happen. It's going to take me up to the doors of Mr. Robot, and then I'm out, and then I'm gone. I'm just like, I'm just Mr. Robot for the rest of the year. So, (laughs) everybody's like, thanks for the (laughs) monologue, Lisa, on Terrace House. (laughs) You tried to watch it a little bit, didn't you? I did, yeah. I think I got like six episodes in. It wasn't for you. But I can't remember which one. I think it was the In the City one. 
Yeah. You weren't yeah. you weren't feeling it. No, I I mean like it would I, I mean again it's one of those shows where like you can't just like put on in the background. You have to you like can't. actively you ha- yeah. You like watch it and and read the subtitles. It's um, like Los Los uh, Spookies. Los Spookies is the same way. It's hard because you have to sit there and If I look away and, and Los yeah. Spookies is very quick. Yeah. I look away and I'm like, "Oh my god, what happened?" Terrace House is quick too because it it's is. just like boom, 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 like boom. Like the, the the shade and the daggers that's being thrown because again people don't flip tables on this show. It's very culturally it's the the daggers are like very subtle. It's like oh so huh. and you're like what happened? There's like an eyebrow was raised and someone mentioned like dumplings and then something happened. You're like I don't know what, what's happening. There's code. There's code around Chumai <laughs> going on. What's happening? I don't it know. was the tempura incident. The tempura incident. Yeah, the guy was like. <laughs> I feel like this is what show high, uh, what the guy called show, show ain't. He ain't gonna be no show business, what I'm gonna tell you right now, until he gets his teeth fixed. Anyway, I'm not trying to teeth shame. I got bad, fucked up teeth too. You can't be a movie star with those teeth, dude. I'm just saying. Maybe he's gonna take his terrace house money and get his teeth fixed. Anyway, he was saying he feels like focusing on one thing is what old ancient people are gonna do, and all those people are gonna die off. That's a, you know, and then the people sitting at the table. Especially Carrie, who's actually a dedicated freelance illustrator who's really good. She was like, What are you talking about, bro? Like, yeah. you need to focus on that one thing and be good at it. And he's like, No, nah, it's just an ancient, that's just, that's going out of style. Well, even it's like, that- I like tempura, but I don't want to have it every day. And they're all like, What? What? <laughs> what are you talking about? Haruka even called him out, too. Yeah. In that conversation, she was just like, uh, Yeah, people will probably, if you, if you say that, people will. Uh, uh, automatically think that you're just lazy. Right. And then he's work. He's painting a room because one of his jobs is interior designer. I don't know how many jobs this guy's got. And the guy who was working with him who said that you ain't Jack, he was like, you just seem like you're kind of aimless, bro. Yeah. And that really hurt his feelings because it was an older man because we follow them to their jobs and stuff. And he was like, that, mm. makes me, that made me feel bad. And I'm like, well, at least he's feeling bad about being shiftless, no count, ain't going nowhere. And he's not a yeah. young dude. I mean, he's a young guy, but he's not like young, yeah. young. So, but they all became their parents. Oh, really? Hmm, that's great. How's that going to work out <laughs> for you? Um, you need to focus on something, bro. And do that. So, but then he does admit that maybe he's not that good of an actor and he, maybe he won't be successful at that. And I'm like, well, not with that attitude, you won't. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> it's a, uh, yeah. So that's back. We'll be back in uh, what are we gonna say another week. We'll be back. We'll be coming back. We're gonna get back in the yeah. in the groove. We'll be back more often, and then we will be doing episode by episode of uh, Mr. Robot. So if you're into that, great. If we won't see you, that's fine. We get it. We're a little small little band of brothers. Uh, we'll see you on the other side of that. <laughs> uh, but you guys have a good week. Anything else we want to say? Any announcements? Anything happening? The calendar is full of new shows. I can't even believe it. There's so many coming along. I'm going to try them, and if they really connect and stick, then we'll, you know, we'll talk about those. But there's so much TV coming up; it's yeah. like the flood. And we're just we're wrapping up just like just random stuff that we're like seeing. Snowfall. We got to wrap that out. Preacher. Yeah. Although I have to say, this season of uh, Preacher has been one of my favorites, especially with Humperdue. Yeah, man, <laughs> Humperdue. He's he's becoming one of my favorite TV characters probably ever. It's so irreverent. It, it it's is. It's so awesome. Yeah, it's so awesome and irreverent. It's right up my alley. 
Uh, you know, I'm going to hell. I'm driving that day. Can I? Can I like um like really like quick fire just list off a couple of things yeah. that people should be aware of? Sure. Uh, last um one of the primary debates with the president, the Democratic presidential candidates. Yeah. Uh, very interesting. Very telling of who you should not vote for. Right. Uh, don't vote for Joe Biden. Mm. Um, there was a a thing with um Bill Maher had something on his um. Uh, late talk show about basically saying like we should bring fat shaming back oh yeah uh, to curve obesity got into a fight with james corden right yeah and then james corden and james corden clapped back in a very very uh cathartic way at least for me in the seven seven minute clip everyone should go check it out it's probably on youtube he said he has a line like i i not all of us um Something about self righteousness burning like thirty five thousand calories or whatever it was, you know, like just about yeah. your high horse. I mean, again, but but I can say I've had a problem with Bill Maher for a long, long, long fucking time. I don't know why people still watching that dude, but I got a big old problem with Bill. But I'm glad he's finally getting. I mean, when you got James Corden, the cuddliest man on TV, yeah, I know what he's like, probably in real life, and I know people what people say about James, but like he's a cuddly dude on TV. He's a very nice man. He's very British. For him to come for you. You gotta be a sack of shit. I'm just saying. Yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, r- real quick, um, editor Roseanne Roseanne Tan, I think is how you say the editor for Mr. Robot, has joined the crew for the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yay! A uh, Winter Soldier. Uh, that was really cool. And Shane Gillis is fucking fired from <gasps> SNL, which we all love. Out of to here. Hear that Shane Gillis, man. I mean, like. That was a very turbulent week. <laughs> like, I guess it took, here's like, a question. Not even, like four days. I don't know about Shane. I don't know who he is. I, I, I looked at briefly what he said, and, and I know some of y'all are like mad, social justice warrior, cancel, cancel culture, and sometimes I'm with y'all and sometimes I'm not. But I got to say, in this case, it's more just about like, what's Lorne Michaels and company thinking? What are y'all doing? I mean, groundbreaking, first Asian cast members coming in. Uh, that's awesome. But this dude, I just, it feels like somebody's not watching the the clock over there, you know, at SNL. Yeah. That just seemed like a weird hire in this day and time. So well, also, like, first Asian cast member, and it's like, what year is it? <laughs> yeah, that's true, too. Yeah, like, yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, how long is this? Yeah, how long has this show been on the air? Yeah, yeah oh, yeah, no, 1979, 78. Longer than that, 77. Mm. I remember watching it when it signed on. And I was a kid, so I remember that. remember Sesame Street and Saturday Night Live signing on. I'm old. I'm really not that old. Um, I'm one year younger than Demi Moore. Uh, So, what else happened? I don't know. There's a lot of stuff that's been going on. But that kind of, thank you for hitting the news. We should probably hit it off the top, but I'm glad we did it at the end. Yeah, so we're going to hit you back soon. You guys take care of yourselves. Uh, if your pee is brown, you're dehydrated. Drink water. <laughs> Drink water. <laughs> Drink water. Get some sleep. Get sleep. Some sleep. Get some sleep, for God's sake. <laughs> and if you live in a town where it's legal, CBDs, I got to say, CBDs will be your friend. They'll calm you down. They're like a thunder shirt. Or just get a thunder shirt. Just go to the store, even if you don't have a dog, and just get yourself a thunder shirt, you know, if you're not into taking CBDs. Could work. Just drive around town in your thunder shirt. Drive, you know, away from the concert in Bristol in your thunder shirt. Whatever gets you through. All right. There you go. All right. Take care of yourself. I love you. Bye, guys. Bye. <laughs>